0: We have two scriptures for this morning. The first one is Psalm 131, which is a song of ascent of David. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And the second is John 17, verses 20 to 23, and this is Jesus talking. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen, and thanks be to God. I'm so excited
1: to be with you all this morning, and I want to let you know that November is a pretty amazing month here at Bethany, um, as well as for our country. And, you know, a week from today, we'll have a new president one way or the other. And it's even a political statement to say, get out there and vote, because there's some people who say, if these people vote, you know, that's gonna go one way. And so what I wanna say is, God is so much bigger than one election. He's so much bigger than one nation. He's so much bigger than a four-year or eight-year term. And you're here and I'm here to worship that God, to study him, to come to know him more deeply, to let our lives be shaped in accordance with his plan for us. So if it's, you're on your conscience to be a voter, go and do so. If you need to abstain from that one tough uh, decision or you don't know enough about any of the others, um, go ahead and put your uh, your ballot in to say that I, you do care because God has placed us within a time and space And yet, we're connected to eternity. So this sermon series that we're in is called Constant. And does anyone have one? There's these really cool booklets. They're in the pew. If you don't have one, take one today. We are continuing to use this same outline. And it is a challenge, to be honest, to be preaching through this gigantic topics, the cosmos and justice and today, intimacy. So... I'm so glad to be here, and I do want to let you know that Pastor Richard has been using his gifts as our senior pastor out in the world. Um, I think he's given like 25 talks in the past two weeks or something like that, and he's completed the last one today. He was being translated into German a sentence at a time, and they were in a retreat center, otherwise known as a castle Like, I kid you not. And he he and his wife, Donna, are there tonight with just the translator and his wife. And so this is their, like, recovery night, and then they'll be um, doing a little bit of hiking, and he'll be making his way back. So in addition to that good news that's happening in coming weeks, we, as Megan mentioned, we have our annual gathering, and then it's going to be Thanksgiving. And we have a Thanksgiving Eve service here. So let's join our hearts in prayer as we kind of dive into today's scripture. So, mighty God, I thank you uh, that you are beyond time, that you are so much bigger and so much more powerful and so much more loving and so much more intimate than we could even imagine. And today, as we come to this topic of of intimacy, it's far bigger uh, than I can describe. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would use my words, that even now, as there are people hearing this message in this room and online, for whom intimacy is a tremendous uh, hurt spot. Lord, I I pray over those who've experienced abuse, who have uh, sought to put the pieces of their life back together after being brokenhearted, who have sought intimacy um, in kind of all the wrong places. Lord God, I pray that you might heal our wounds, that you might give us hope for the future, that you might come into this very place, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be made new, especially in this area. Lord God, may we draw close to you and to the truth of your love today. In Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So, it was a while back when I was cooking my very first Thanksgiving turkey, I was living back east and my family was out on the west coast and I just bought a turkey and you know I knew it had to be defrosted and so I stuck it in the sink and you know threw the packaging away and then sometime the next morning thought okay I really don't know what to do next. So I call my mom and this is back in the day, there was a time when long distance calls actually charged by the minute. So she said, you know, what are your questions? She was also cooking a turkey. I said, you know, I don't really know what temperature the, the turkey should be cooked at, you know, and how long. And she began with a series of questions. Well, are you stuffing the turkey? It's like, well, I was thinking about it. She said, you know, some people don't put the stuffing in the turkey, some people put the stuffing separate because it's not safe they say, to have the turkey stuffed, actually. And if you're going to put the stuffing in the side in a casserole dish, then you want to cook the turkey a different amount of time. So how much does your turkey weigh? And I'm like, I don't know, it's a turkey. And, you know, I threw the packaging away. I said, oh, you have to know how much it weighs, and then you have to calculate, based on if you're putting the stuffing in, how much time, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then, some people say, that if you're cooking a large turkey, you should put it in the oven at a very high temperature, and then you should decrease the temperature because it's going to be in there for so long. I had to call her about 50 times. Like, we might as well have spent the entire day on the telephone. And I longed for the day when this was not all my responsibility. Like back when I was a kid and I stood at the counter and someone else opened the little can of olives, the little black olives, and I like put some on my fingers and put some into the bowl and was so happy to be there with all these experts in the kitchen, my mom, my aunt, my grandma, dad and uncles and everybody kind of wandering through the kitchen. I will say they recalculated how long you should cook the turkey all day long. Does that happen in your house? You don't want it too done, you don't want it not done. There was a nostalgia in me for the way things used to be. And there's a nostalgia in God for the way things kind of were originally, the way things were supposed to be in regard especially to intimacy. So if we think back to our, this is our constant sort of sermon outline, if you will, Creation, disruption, the hope of the incarnation, and then culmination, like the the redeeming of all things. So I want us to think back, not that you were all there, but before creation, there was God. There was just God. And God is, we understand God to be kind of having three parts. And as I talk about God the creator, God the redeemer, God the sustainer. Some of you are thinking, yeah, which one is which? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For some people, as I say the words Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're getting tripped up already because to imagine God as a giant version of your Father is really scary. And so I'm inviting you, if that's you, to think about God as the original creator, that there was an intimacy right here between the Godhead is what we call this. The triune God had three parts. So I'm gonna call this original intimacy happening right here. This intimacy was so strong that God looked out over this void that it it was like the pre-cosmos void. And there was kind of an emptiness and they say the, the spirit hovered over this void. And then God began to create something. He began to call something into being. Why? Because God was so full of this love that was happening here that he wanted to share it with a creation. He wanted there to be like more of this good thing that was happening here. So there was the original creation. Original. It is so hard to spell and talk at the same time. Original creation. God created Like, he began with separating the water from the sky, and then light, and then there needed to be land, so there was, like, dry land appearing, and then creatures, all sorts of creatures, and then the ultimate of creation was what? Human beings. Humanity. God said, let's, these creatures are good, but let's create something that's going to be in our own image. Something that kind of uniquely is similar to God, that could experience a kind of intimacy like God experiences. Like within God's self, there are these different kind of aspects of God. So God desired that the same thing would be true of humanity, and and He created the first one, and it was a male. And like, oh, it's not good that that one's alone. Let's create another one. Let's create a female. And yes, we're not going to get into the birds and the bees and how they fit together, but there was a uniqueness there. You know about it if you went to fifth grade somewhere. (laughs) So, okay, I've talked you through page one and page two. God made people. He said, um, let's make male and female with flesh and blood, with skin and bone. And then when we talked about work, we see that God gave us a job description We as humanity were to be caretakers of this good creation. We're to be like game wardens of all the animals. We're to fill the earth with like good things, with produce, with children, and to run the planet well. Like we were put in charge of creation. So then God sets aside, he rests, he looks at the whole thing and says, It's very good. And we're going to talk about rest in one of the future weeks. So notice these three things in creation. First, in the beginning, there was God. The creation comes out of a love that was already present. It it wasn't God insisting that we're a certain way. It was God creating. And it's kind of a marvelous thing to imagine how God, like in his original purpose, came up with all that is, like, it's just hard for us to imagine the emptiness that was before this universe and this creation. But God created us and made us distinct. Why? Because God, God's self is distinct. Like, God somehow believes that, that love, that intimacy happens between different entities, Like, yes, one can love oneself, but that's not a perfect love. It's not a perfect intimacy with oneself. You need another. So God, out of his kind of generous community of love, creates human beings. So perfect love, uh, point two, is a rare experience, and yet we crave it because it's like we are made like God. God craved to be in relationship with something even, even bigger and even more. Uh, Blaise Pascal, French philosopher, is credited with saying that we have within us, within humanity, a God-shaped vacuum. Like, we're made to belong to God and God to us. Like, it's all part of this original design. And then, as we look at maybe nature or people, uh, We see, we catch a glimpse of the small degree of the kind of love that God has bestowed on his creation. We kind of get a a sense of it. Uh, Maybe when you're putting a child to bed, um, maybe being touched by the beauty of a landscape. One of my favorite professors from seminary said, being touched by the beauty of a landscape so that for a moment we lose self-consciousness. We're not thinking about ourselves. We're drawn into something. It it like takes our breath away. Have you had that experience? He says it's at least to touch the fringe of a love in which the entire universe is perpetually seen by its maker. This is how God sees the world. God looks at it and says, it's good. Like, look at this. I had such an experience, I shared with some that a few weeks ago, I went to learn how to be a volunteer over at the women's shelter. We have this women's shelter here at Bethany and would love to have more people uh, become volunteers to spend the night. So I thought it would be good for me to experience that so I know what I'm talking about and now I can't wait to join the team and find out, like, get on the schedule because... It was a holy experience. And I want to confess to you that I was very anxious about this experience. Look, 12 women were going to sleep on the floor. I've heard there's mattresses, but will there be mattresses? And as I was reading through the directions, it said like, leave, you know, everything at home that you won't need. Well, the one thing that I began to really consider, like, oh my gosh, I've come up. <gasps> it's right here. Yeah, this thing. Did I need it or not to spend the night in the women's shelter? I actually thought I probably didn't need it. And I found myself, as I was getting out of the car, like kind of putting my phone, tucking it away in the car and thinking, but I, nobody can text me if something goes wrong and somebody needs me. And like, if something happens at work or one of my kids wants to say something to me, I, I, I won't have my phone. And it's like, okay, Kendi, you survived a lot of years without your telephone. Like, go ahead, go in be part of the women's shelter for from 8 p.m. until 8 a.m. You can do without your phone. So I did. I went in and I found that there were already people there setting up the mattresses. That was so exciting. It's like, oh, there's people. I'm not by myself. That's really good. And then the couple other people came who are going to be the people I spent the night with. And they were trainers. They had a handout. It's like, oh, love a handout. Like, here's exactly what we need to do. That's fabulous. I did find out they both had their phones. So I was like, oh, maybe it's okay. Maybe I should get my phone. And I was like, okay, let go of the phone, be present here, because the whole thing was unfolding. Then someone was walking in with a meal in this crock pot. It smelled so good. And she also had these like, breakfast items that she was, she was part of that food hospitality crew. And then in a few minutes, we're going to find out how many women were going to come to us that night from the shelter because there's this place downtown called Noel House, Catholic Community Services, and they screen which women are going to come to Bethany because is it going to be a good fit? So we find out we're going to get 10 women, which is really exciting, maybe 11, uh, and that means there's going to be an extra mattress, because I was an extra person, so then I'm going to get to sleep on a mattress. This is good news. So we get our mattresses out, the women arrive, and then the whole thing just starts to unfold. They arrived with their, like, rolling suitcases. It was like being at the airport, only with, like, a little hotel right there. So they've got their rolling suitcases out, they got their linens out of their bag with their names on them, because once you've come to Bethany in the beginning of the week, you want to keep coming back, so you get your name on the linens, and the little store, if you will, opens up where they can pick out what's needed, one item, and that's where those donations go, and then it's time for the meal. And just like any meal, we're all standing around complimenting the chef and talking about soup recipes and then sitting around the table, and then before you know it, it was time to go to bed, which was 10 o'clock completely lights out. Okay, how many of you go to bed without any screens and without any media, without even a book to read at 10 o'clock at night? Challenging for me. So, this is when the holy moment began for me. Here at Bethany, we have little lights that you turn out. Almost every bed had a little light above it. And so as the lights are being turned out and people are saying goodnight to each other, I just had this, like, settling feeling of peace, of like, this is how it's supposed to be, people caring for one another, not to get something in return, but just to care. There were people there, uh, a volunteer who's a professor, and a woman in the shelter who had a master's degree and they began to talk about some things. There were people there that the volunteers had known over time, and they were asking about their families. But when it came time to go to sleep, I was reminded how equal we all are in the sight of God, that no matter what's gone on in our past or even what's to come in the new day, as we put that day to bed, I felt as if God was saying, this is how I meant it to be. This is how I meant you to, to live into communi- in community, to share life together, even in this small way. So I encourage you to, to have that holy moment and to be attentive to these kinds of moments. So God created this best of all possible worlds; it's sometime called, and then what happened? We, we gotta get to disruption. God put Adam and Eve in this, in this garden called paradise, and he gave them this, the fullness of perfection in every way. He asked them to not do one thing, eat of the tree that was in the middle of the garden, but they couldn't resist, and they did it. Bam! Everything changed. Guilt, shame, hiding, greed, Pain, power struggles, broken dreams, broken relationships is altogether called sin. It's the egocentric predicament, like I want it my way. This little serpent, the little voice, the little deceiver, all the evil of the world contained in a snake began to speak like, you don't really believe that about God, do you? You don't, you don't really believe what he told you. You know, he's denying you something. You can't trust God. And they believed the lie. This is called original sin. That I can spell. So in this original sin, we lost something. We lost this perfect creation that God had intended for us. So God needs to fix it because we can't fix it ourselves. Adam and Eve couldn't fix it. All of Israel couldn't fix it. So they needed, we needed an answer. Was God caught off guard by this? I don't think so. Because God somehow knew that in order to create this perfect original creation, this original design of perfection, there needed to be free will. We needed to have this option so that we could actually be entities that could have intimacy with God and with each other. And we we unfortunately took that option, and it's a downhill slide. So that God has to come in the form of an actual person to, to kind of redeem that debt, to buy us back, to get us back to how it was. I am running out of ink, here we go. To get it back to how it was. But the truth is we're stuck in this cycle. Aren't we? Because even though God bought us back, we we are sinners, every single one of us. We're the ones who get it wrong. We think that intimacy is the same as adoration, like applause. We don't want to be close enough to see each other's weakness. I, don't want, I really didn't want my mother to know that I'd been in her kitchen for 20 years and I had no idea how to cook a turkey. <laughs> we think that intimacy is information. Like, if, if I just ha- know enough about other people, if, if I know enough about myself, somehow I will draw near. We think that intimacy equals possession. If I just own the right stuff, like, hi, I'm Kendi and I'm a shoe shopping addict. I got a thing about shoes. How about you? What is it for you? Is it greed? Is it conquest? Is it power? Is it money? Is it material goods? Is it significance? What's that thing that you hear the serpent saying to you? If only, if only it were like this, if only it were more like that, if only that hadn't have happened. Intimacy is indwelling. It's dwelling with. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he's inviting us into this life in him. So what does that look like? Ooh. It looks like what Jesus said in the passage that we're looking at in John. So let's look at what happened. John, uh, Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he said this, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down your life for your friends. Okay, who's saying this? This person. Right before he went to the cross, he's saying greater love has no one than this, than you lay down your life for your friends. Why does he say that? Because that's the only way it can happen. Jesus himself had to lay down his life, and then he says to us, I no longer call you servants. For the servants don't know what the master's doing. Like, the servants don't know the big plan. I call you friends. And then he's going to lay down his life, and he gives them this final prayer. It's the last recorded prayer of Jesus. And he says this, my prayer is not for them alone, those that he's with. He's praying to God, uh, the creator, the father. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That... That all of them, now this is a hugely mysterious passage that we're going to try to make sense of. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. They may be in, inside. There are scripture, another scripture calls it hid with Christ in God. That we might be somehow part of this thing, this intimacy of God. Jesus said, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. In, in, in. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. So our souls long for this kind of intimacy, to be rightly related to the God of the universe. Maybe we could call this, um, this is the intimacy of the incarnation. Oh, you can't read that, but I'll just say it. And this is the intimacy of eternity. Can we be be rightly related to this kind of intimacy? I believe it's what we long for. I believe it's what we go looking for in all the wrong places. Looking for love, looking for affection, looking for that physical sense that somebody cares. Why? Because we don't notice each other. We're so self-absorbed. We're so much going about our own business, our own worries. We, We can't see another for who they are. But we take part in the life of God by sharing in this kind of indwelling that is between the distinct powers of God. We dwell in God and God in us and in each other, and then we perceive each other differently. We see each other as children of the living God. By having that kind of relationship between ourselves and with God, we take part in the life of God. The Trinity, this true community, unfortunately, cannot be fully achieved in the here or now. It's the life we crave, and God promises that there will be a consummation of our longing to be rightly loved. It's the very greatness of our destiny that this power of God wants to dwell in us. The kingdom of God is to be created in part by us, without any particular blueprint because we are these individual powers and that indwelling is to be in us and shaping us, to create us into this kind of mutual life of the kingdom. What is to come is what partly we are bringing. So then how does this happen? Well, we've been looking at this like, enormous chasm. And I'm guessing as I was saying all that, like the life to come and the indwelling of God, it's like, that's not my experience. I'm going to go home today and and feel lonely and feel isolated. I am going to shop online for some more shoes. Thank you very much. I am going to visit my screen for some other purposes as well. Thank you very much. I am going to hide. And I don't care if it causes me shame because it makes me feel better. We get caught right here. And Jesus is saying, I want to stitch this world back together. I want to stitch you back into eternity. And I think of it like this, kind of like lacing a shoe. Like Jesus is saying, let me put this thing back together. Let me remind you that this huge chasm is closed up by the person of Jesus, by the gift of the life and death and resurrection of God's only son. Do you believe it to be true? Can you lean into that? Can you let go of living in this spot and imagine that God wants you moving in this direction? Step by step. Be attentive to it. Take a step toward it. Let yourself be known. Let yourself be vulnerable. Get into a small group. Get get yourself into a conversation with a friend that's scary. Say the hard thing. Say what needs to be said. Clear the air have the kind of hope that God wants to provide us, a hope that does not disappoint. You may have plans for you. God has even better plans. What are they? Uncover them. Discover them. So God's love freely creates and freely becomes dependent on us. God chooses to engage with us and promises that our longings to be rightly loved will be fulfilled So what do we do? We pay attention. We have this attentiveness that can break the illusion of our self-centered fantasy that the world is made up of our own self-importance. And then the kingdom of God begins to dawn. We can learn to see ourselves as an object of perfect love. You are loved perfectly by a perfect God. You may long to be loved perfectly by another person. It's impossible, I'm sorry to say. Newlyweds, I know that's bad news. But try, it's good. Keep trying. (laughs) But the truth is, and I've prayed this often at weddings, may we not expect from one another that perfection which belongs alone to God? Don't believe the Facebook photo, don't believe the Christmas card. There's a whole story behind that moment. Just like a model on the front of a magazine. It took hours and hours to get that model looking that way. So it is with real life. Don't expect that perfect love from one another. And we're not to seek this, to live this glory in our time. Don't think that if you just try hard enough that we can attain perfection. These circumstances, absolutely, they may come together for a moment. And I'm going to share with you a moment in my life when they did. And we may carry that inspiration for the rest of our days. But remember that there are enormous depths of sin, and there is a frightful power that is our own self centeredness. The rubber band can pull and stretch, but then it pops back. So pay attention to who? To Jesus. He's the one who loves perfectly. He's the one who laid down his life. And we can see ourselves in him only because and only when we know him as the one who loves perfectly. It's to perceive sort of a power of the Trinity that took place in coming to life in Jesus, that there is a divine life and we get to be part of it. And then there's a little bit more bad news. It's this. We have a void, an emptiness, a longing that goes beyond what this world can provide. We can catch glimpses of eternity, but we can't live there yet. So letting go of the expectation that kind of we deserve it, and it's going to happen, it's, it's sort of an attitude. And it can exist, this attitude of sort of longing for when everything is made right and living in today in the now. The kingdom of God is coming and there's a way in which it's here, but it's not yet. It's not fully present. We can have fun. We can delight. We can have a full and active life. We can serve one another. We can be all that God designed us to be and it will only be a glimpse of what God's going to do for eternity. One of my favorite professors at seminary said it this way, to perceive God's presence requires attentiveness humility, and a longing for that which the world cannot provide. Can you accept that? It's so hard to me. I'm, I'm an optimist, optimist, like eternal optimist. Maybe we can do it. We can do it in part. We see now in part, but then we shall see fully. We, we know now in part, then we will know even as we are fully known. So Jesus, at the end of his fleshly life, was about to give his father's master plan of the universe into the hands of 11 kind of knuckleheads. He'd spent three years with them. They understood a lot, but they'd also missed a lot. And as they listened to him, he started to pray for them. And here's the one line I want you to hold on to. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. He didn't pray for growing churches, or making converts, or miracles, or speaking tours, or even Bible studies. He prayed that they would be linked in to the family of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This understanding is so important because if we miss it, we'll head out the door in the name of Jesus, and we'll make prisoners instead of priests. We'll make converts instead of cousins. We 'll make Pharisees instead of family members. Friends, God is calling us into an indwelling of community, belonging to one another and belonging to God that's far beyond what we can even imagine. I'd like the image here of a campfire like my family loves to go to Yosemite. My husband's family used to go to Yosemite. We sound sort of idyllic. We're not. Let me tell you, when we moved into our house, I felt I needed to tell my neighbors who were elders at the church that we were pastoring at the time that if there was a lot of yelling, they didn't need to call the police. Just saying. It's not perfect. But we do go to Yosemite. And in Yosemite, there's this high country. Um, Called Tuolumne Meadows, and at Tuolumne Meadows for the past decades, every evening in the summer there's a campfire, and there's something about that campfire. It kind of reminds me of the shelter. It's like all different kinds of people, no matter what's gone on and how we've argued about how hard the hike was or who didn't hike or whatever's going on. We like to go to this campfire, and there are other folks there, and. One of the things I love is anticipating the campfire because it's built, I don't know who builds it, but it's built like a little log cabin. There's these giant logs and they're like crossing each other in a square and then they kind of go up almost like to a point. And in the middle of it, there's this like kindling wood and then there's some newspaper and there's something called Tinder. And I now know there's something online called Tinder, which you... uh, could hope to get a spark or not out of, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about actual kindling in a fire. And when you light that fire, it grows, and it gets hotter and hotter, and it's, it's, it's just fun to watch it. You know, I'm not a pyromaniac, but it's just, it's sparking, and I think like the Holy Spirit moving and all that great, and then eventually, that center coals become just perfect for roasting marshmallows. But let me say this, if you took the logs out of that fire and you just said, hmm, this one's really cool, let's put this one over here and let's put that one over there, well, what would happen? They just, the, the flame goes out. They can't make it on their own. And somehow that's what God's saying to us, the people of God. You're not meant to live this life on your own. You're meant to dwell with God, with each other. We're, we're meant to be right here, right now, in this safe place. We're meant to be the people and presence of God when we leave this place, not, not just savoring what we have, but offering it to others. So what would it look like? I will offer you one more incident of uh, when I got a taste of this, and it was a few weeks ago that it was the anniversary of my mom's passing, which means... <laughs> I can't call her and ask her about the turkey anymore. And this makes me, it makes me sad, even telling you. And if you're in a fight with your mom, call her today and make it right. Because you never know. Um, on the anniversary of my mom's passing, um, I was going for a walk around Green Lake, and I was, I was saying to the person walking with me, who, God bless her, was walking with me, which is great, I was sort of whining and complaining, like nobody really noticed. I kind of went around all day saying, this is the day my mom died. And, Uh, She said, well, you know, like, I'm here, (laughs) which was great. Um, And then I got a text um, the next morning from my son, who's away in college. He's a sophomore. He's 20 years old. And he said, Mom, did you get my message yesterday? And I said, no, sweetie. And he said, well, listen to my message. And I want to share it with you.
2: Hey, Mom, it's Mason. Excuse me. I was calling to say, hey. Sorry, I have have, a little bit of congestion, so that's why my voice sounds funny. But... Hope you're doing well. And I know today is a hard day for you because this is the day that Granny passed away. But I would love to encourage you in that I think you are a great uh, continuation of her legacy of loving people well and serving selflessly. And so I'm glad that I get to have a mother who had a mother so great that made you such a great mother. And so I hope that you are finding peace in today and comfort in God's promises of love and life and eternal life, and I think you're great And I'm glad that we got to know Grammy and that we get to continue her legacy by loving other people so well and uh, give me a call back. I'm in Austin. My friend Mylon left, and I meet up with a friend later, but I just spent some time at a coffee shop, and I am going to go to the Museum of Texas History spend some time, you know, learning about stuff. But I hope you have a good day. And uh, give me a call, shoot me a text, and I hope not you soon. Love you a
1: Yeah, I mean, what's, you know, thank you. Like, you know, I'll play it for you again on Mother's Day. But <laughs> that's not about me. That's about the people that have poured into his life. That's about the people who've lived out before him, who Jesus is. That there is a far bigger picture, and it's not about his life. It's about what God wants to do. So who is it for you? Who might be waiting for your phone call or your text message? Who might be sitting next to you feeling super lonely, even today? Who might you go out of your way to love because God loved you first? That's intimacy. Please pray with me. Mighty God, I thank you that you invite us into something that is far bigger than ourselves, that you invite us into the family of God. Lord, I pray against all the lies of the evil one that would tell us that intimacy can be found in owning the right stuff or possessing the right person or in any particular physical act, Lord, but that intimacy is a far greater and eternal gift. Lord, I pray that you would give us a right thinking about what it means to be close to other people, to be fully vulnerable, to be trusting, to be fully alive. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into this place, that this would indeed be a place where people can learn to trust you and to trust one another. So come, Lord Jesus, may your incarnation Uh, be real to us, and may we live incarnationally for others. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.